You're listening to Addicted to Growth. Join us each week as we sit down with sales, marketing, and revenue leaders on the front lines of innovation. New insights, new playbooks, new tech, new lessons. Step forward into growth and development or backwards into safety and security. The choice is yours. Let's get into the show. Today, I'm super excited because we have Rory Brown with us, the CCO at Cluster, where he helps revenue leaders build best-in-class reporting systems by collaborating with their peers. So, Rory, welcome to the show today, my friend. Hi, Travis. Nice to be here. Awesome. So, Kev, you want to... kind of preface this a little bit with uh first starting with like why we have Rory on like I feel like the the topics of data and, and sales acceleration and sales effectiveness like th- there's so many things that this guy knows so I'm like let, let's preface a little bit with uh why we, we wanted to chat with Rory today yeah for sure so I um I met Rory probably around middle of, of last year so um and for me as a sales leader, I know I'm, I'm constantly trying to understand, you know, performance. I'm trying to understand where, where and how I can make my sales team more effective, better at their jobs. Um, and so naturally, um, we had a really, really good conversation and definitely learned a lot. So, um, you know, what I thought would be really interesting is I, I look at, you know, a business that, that Rory runs like Cluster. And if you look back 10 years ago, this wasn't on the map. This, this wasn't even an idea. It didn't exist. And so I think these guys are, are super innovative in what they're doing uh, and driving tons of value for, for sales organizations and sales leadership. So um, Rory, I know sales effectiveness is always a topic that we, we talk a lot about. Um, and I think it's a term that's thrown out there all the time and, and people probably have you know, a million and one different definitions from it. Um, but in your eyes, how would you define sales effectiveness? Um, yeah, thanks, Kev. So, I mean, sales effectiveness could be quite broad. The challenge with the term, I think, at the moment is that it's still fairly new. And just like something like revenue operations, it's still finding its feet, it's finding its syllabus, if you like. Um, <clears throat> but so I had a little dig around to see how I could best describe what I think it is. Um, and what I've decided is it's it's basically... Um, the ability to win at each stage of the sales process and analyze how we do this and how we can do it better. Now, within that, there's obviously so much that could come into it, but I think fundamentally, that's what I personally believe uh, sales effectiveness is. Excuse me. So it's interesting because you mentioned revenue operations and sales operations, and that's another sort of function that I think is um, becoming more closer and closer to the forefront, right? It's not so much of this behind the scenes, you know, function. I think it's definitely getting, you know, closer to the executive team. It's definitely getting closer to the forefront of sales. Um, When it comes to process though, I think that's another element that, you know, everyone's really, really drilled in on what their process is or what their process isn't. 
Um, when it comes to measurement about a sales process, I mean, is there any sort of best practices or anything that you, um, you guide sales leaders to when defining that sales process? Well, <clears throat> I can tell you what I see, which isn't good. <clears throat> Maybe it's a good start. So I think the, <clears throat> the first point is greediness. So if we imagine you've got your very first touch point on a contact in anywhere in the world, and you're trying to make that contact your customer one day and bring them through the life cycle and make them love you and cherish you. Um, <clears throat> anywhere between that first contact and when you actually close the sale initially, <clears throat> you could try and capture seven important points in that, in that process. You could try and capture 25. Now, obviously, the more we try and grab in terms of points in that process, the less likely we are to capture that effectively. So the very first thing is think about what's the leanest uh, data that you could capture along that process and then maybe make it 20% leaner than that. That's your starting point. If you can prove that you, <clears throat> you can capture that data and those, those points in time effectively, to a, to a good quality, then that gives you license to go and try and get hungry and, and be greedy and grab some more. That's probably the, the, the first place where people go wrong, where they're, they're trying to look back at how things have unfolded and they've just got a bit of a mess in half-filled out, misinterpreted points in the process. That's interesting. And I think what what's really easy for... For sales leaders, for sure. Um, but I think it's so easy to just fall into paralysis by analysis. Um, you know, there's, there's so many different data points you can look at. There's so many different data points you can measure. Um, I think nowadays there's a lot of vanity metrics and vanity data points, things, you know, things around activity and whatnot. Um, you know, and this was a question that Travis and I actually were talking about when, when discussing this particular episode. But as a sales leader, is there a metric that you just can't live without? Is there a metric you can't live without? <clears throat> I mean, fundamentally to me, it's the pace and, and consistency with which you're generating new pipeline. That's it. That's your strong leading indicator. If that's, if that's healthy, then everything else, in theory, everything else should fall into place. I like that one. And I know Travis, this was, was a question that, you know, you kind of, you planted in my mind. Um, I mean, where did that one come from, from, from your perspective? Yeah. I, I think where it came from was, was understanding that there are so many data points that get misinterpreted by sales leaders, by managers, even by SDRs, but then also to like really focus in on, if there are so many, like you mentioned, Rory, like you could do seven points, you could do 25. Like if there's so many things that people can choose from, like how will they know that that one is the thing that's the most important? Like, I just feel like it's just, it's going to be so difficult. Like how are they, how do they see that sort of stuff? So that's what kind of led me to that question. So I don't know if you have any um, more detail about that. No, yeah, I totally agree. I mean, <clears throat> I think... What I often find is when we go in and work with businesses is there can be a tendency to be looking at stuff that's going on too close to deadline day. 
And so we're, we're running our business based on stuff that's happening 10, 20, 30 days before uh, close day. And we could actually make that part of our lives much easier if we focus 90 days before close day all the time. Um, that's, I think it's just, it's just like a seesaw, isn't it? You, you go over too far over one side and all of a sudden you're, you're on your way to close day and you know, the time you've got left to action anything is too short. And so if you're going to miss, you're going to miss. Whereas if you've got 90 days out, you're looking at a leading indicator, which gives you plenty of time to pull levers, run incentive programs, uh, run urgency campaigns, whatever it is that you do as a sales leader. Um, that's that's probably why it's important for me. Yeah, I, I love that. I think that looking at the like looking at those early on leading indicators because too too often do I see it's we're at the end of the quarter we got to make our number and then it's these desperation urgency you know it, it's you start to fall into the things in, in sales that like doesn't make sales feel good right but if you're if you're super proactive you're looking at those leading indicators, you, you still are going to be very customer centric. I think when you get to the end of the quarter versus looking inward at what you're trying to achieve. Um, I mean, I, I know for a fact where you're, you're talking to sales leaders all day, every day, what, what are some common things um, within sales leaders or sales organizations that like that are, they're doing well? Like, are, is there anything you're seeing that like, Hey, these guys are doing this at a super high level. That's leading mm -hmm. to a lot of their success. Some quite controversial things I've seen work really well. Um, so we all know that the way that sales teams are targeted and competent, they work, are all geared towards the closed day. And uh, people are celebrated for how much business they bring in, which is quite right. But I've seen businesses that have taken proportions of their commission plan. This is, this is quite out there, right? But I'm throwing it in there as a good idea. People that take part of their commission plan and they base it on leading indicators. And they run incentive campaigns and they celebrate people and they have hall of fames and they create a culture around leading indicators as a performance metric um, that people are actually targeted on. And the impact that has is as long as it's governed correctly, which is an, another issue, as long as it's governed correctly, you create a culture of performance at the top of the funnel where the culture of performance is always at the bottom of the funnel. That is super interesting. Um, I, I, can, I can see where, yeah, I think to your point, it's all about the governance of that, right? Because if you can, if you can fake a metric, if you can, you know, sort of find ways to, showcase how great you're at the top but again when the cfo sees it's not converting down at the bottom you know that's where that's where that one's going to be um yeah. but yeah I, I think i think it's interesting to look at the compensation piece of things because i think the comp i think comp models will constantly change and i think what you outlined there is probably going to be a little bit more of a common you know common occurrence yeah. um so that's a super interesting one um you know, from your perspective, again, I mean, you're looking at that from a structural compensation plan. And I think with sales, that's how you change behaviors, right? Um, or it's a great way. It's one way to change behaviors within sales teams. What are, what are some other things like what, in your eyes, what makes a great sales team? Yeah, good point. So I think the next thing is about uh, the period of time within which you live. So as salespeople and sales teams, we normally live 
we live our lives, our emotions, our activities, our, our goals, our dreams are all built on the current sales period. So we live, we live, you know, and die by that period. And it's not until we get to the very end of that period, we start to look at next month or next quarter. So what I see really good sales teams do is there's a cadence with which they look at the next periods that are coming up and what position they need to be in at this point of the previous period to make that period also healthy. So you've all heard of the sales hockey stick. Now, the fact that the sales hockey stick still exists tells us there's a problem. We're all closing like mad. Um, and if, you're, if your trajectory at the very end is incredibly steep, you move that close day one day either way and you can miss or overachieve by quite a large amount, which is where, which is where we, all, we all miss, right? So and the dream is obviously you just have a, a beautiful straight diagonal line from day one to day 31 or day 90 uh, of revenue, of, of close one. And the reason that's not happening is because we come into a quarter or a month Sales teams say, hey, right, how are we going to make it? Let's start building some pipeline. There's a bit of peacock, peacocking going on. Uh, everyone's celebrating last quarter's results. Everyone's relaxed because close day feels a way off. And then obviously it's all to do at the end. The good sales teams have you know, good reporting, good data, good playbooks around the meetings that they have with their leaders to be constantly looking at that next period and saying, hey, am I in a strong position today for next quarter? No, you're not. Okay, well, let's start building a little bit of that work into your daily routine when you're at the water coolie chatting to whatever, you know. That's, that's such a good point. And as I think about that more, um, one, I guess one question, like what are some things that you would include in that pre- um, quarter cadence for people. Yeah. Okay. So, <clears throat> so the, the the first metric is coming back to how quickly are we generating new pipeline. So if we look at the law of averages, when you generate the same number of opportunities every week, which people don't, but let's say they did, a certain proportion are going to fall and win at a certain time, right? So the first thing is, are we currently creating consistent pipeline per week? Are you behind? If you are, what's the gap? Go fill it and make sure you're doing that right now. So that's the first thing. The second thing is then looking ahead at well, what pipeline have we actually got booked next quarter? And if we actually weight that by our in-quarter conversion, um, do what, what basically what close one, what, what close one deals do we have sitting there next quarter already? If that's looking really, really light, we know we've got a lot of pipeline building to do. We know that the building pipeline for one quarter happens in the previous quarter. So that gives us a clue as to, as to what we should be doing. Um, and the next thing is, if you want to get more granular, is starting to look at things, well, you know, historically speaking, when you've got, you're trying to close 100,000 in one quarter and you've got 500,000 of pipeline, how much of that pipeline tends to spill over? So do you have also have an, enough pipeline this quarter to not just make it by the skin of your teeth, to close well, to have other pipeline that will spill into next quarter and put you in a good position. So there's three things. Is are you generating it quickly enough now to fall in the right period? Do you have much booked in already? And where's that versus where it should be? And have you got healthy pipeline this quarter that's going to spill over as well? 
Um, and if you're having that conversation regularly and looking at the numbers and basing it on that rep's particular numbers and conversion rates, that's when you start to, to, to come into the quarter already in a good, strong position. So I, I love that approach because for, for, for me, that sounds insanely logical, right? It's very simple to be able to go and say, okay, we know we need X amount of pipeline to hit our goal, where, measure where we are, and, now, and then the, the, the other reason I love it is because it's also very directional. I think it gives reps really good understanding in terms of where their priorities should be, where their focus should be. When I, when I take a, a very broad look, right, I, I, I make the assumption, right, my intuition tells me that there's not a lot of people, not a lot of organizations doing this at a high level. No. Um, okay, so, so you do agree with that. Why don't you think they're doing it at a high level? Because we live emotionally in the current period. That's it. Even that, that comes from the top, right? A culture comes from the top. And I guarantee you, your C-levels will be running around the floor saying, where are we going to finish? Where are we going to finish? That's all the questions they'll get. Not saying, hey, are we going to make it next quarter? Is that looking healthy? Doesn't get asked, does it? I mean, maybe it does, but not in the majority. And that's why. Filters down. The pressure is on to perform that quarter. and No one's thinking about being a hero next quarter. Well, yeah, I, I, it's spot on, spot on. Yeah. And, and one just quick question to add on top of that, like how, like that's such a huge shift, Rory. Like if the whole company is looking at right now, like what sorts of things would have to happen before realizing that, you know, they have to make this shift. Like how do you let them know? Uh, what sort of things? Well, <clears throat> there's the, there's the reason you might look at ways of improving, which would be, um, hey, like we missed this quarter, what happened? And you've got to have someone good in that business to say, well, the reason we missed this quarter is because, you know, 160 days ago, we weren't thinking about it. That's fundamentally why we missed. We didn't do the stuff we needed to do 160 days ago to put ourselves in a good position for this quarter. And that's why we missed. We left it all too late. We relied on too steep a hockey stick. So once you run, once you've had that conversation at at sea level, it's then about how do we culturally bring in the idea of the business thinking logically about future periods, uh, what mechanisms we put in place, how do we enable the reps to do that? It's not on them, right? You can't just ask the reps to go do it. It's got to come from the top. It's got to be well thought out. It's got to be supported. There's got to be playbooks. They've got to know how to interpret the data. That's where the whole, you know, we, we talk about at the beginning of this podcast, you know, the, the, the change in how we're running our businesses this way. This is all these modern roles of sales enablement, sales ops building machines, sales enablement, go and make sure the reps can use it, can interpret it, can make it sing. Um, that's when that whole engine starts to come into play. Got it. And it, 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 that also, that like makes me think there are going to be new roles that are rolled out within organizations. I feel like I have this gut feeling and Kevin and I were talking about a little bit before, like, are you thinking similar? Like where are your thoughts on new roles or positions that um, before didn't exist, but are going to be more important to the success of, of teams? 
Yeah, that's a good question. I um, I hope that before that happens, we get a handle on what our current rules are. Um, because I think uh, even sales operations, it's very different to many different companies. There's no PWC for sales ops or rev ops. No, rev ops is the latest one, massively open for interpretation. People in sales ops calling themselves rev ops, people in rev ops doing things really well. Um, there's then sales enablement uh, who, who often do things very differently. I think there's, a, there's, there's, there's probably enough roles in there right now between effectiveness enablement, um, sales ops and rev ops, that if we actually understand how they should all work together to deliver for the business, we've probably got enough there right now. But I think the problem is in that we're not there yet. Um, some businesses are, don't get me wrong, uh, but, but 80% or more aren't. <clears throat> Yeah, I, I think it's interesting because, you know, you, you are seeing a lot of these new job titles pop up. Like I, I keep on seeing like head of growth and, you know, it's it's an interesting title, but I think it, it means something to something different to every single organization um, in there. And I think, again, with, with with operations, with the importance of data and process, whether it's sales ops, rev ops becoming, I think, just a little bit more under the spotlight, I think you're right. I think there's a lot of opportunity to define what those really mean. And and, and I think there's the the other element of this that I, I see really interesting is there's so many different functions now that just intertwine with sales, right? It's not just sales, cold calling, closing deals, and keep it moving. It's account-based marketing, right? It's intent data. It's now, you know, your own internal data. Like there's so many kind of things that are, are spewing over. Um, as a, as again, back to kind of as a sales leader, is there anything that, that you're seeing that's new out there that didn't exist a few years ago that you're thinking has a really positive impact on, on your sales org? Yeah. So one thing I want to share with you guys, I thought it'd be good to talk about, um, is sales velocity the metric uh, which has um, been around for quite a long time uh, like machine learning was before everyone started trying to sell it even though they don't really do it um, so the reason I want to bring it up is because I've started now to see some really top SaaS companies uh, use it very effectively um, and it's been misunderstood. So sales velocity for me is, it's your number of opportunities, it's an equation, it's your number of opportunities times by your average deal value, times by your win rate, divided by your average sales cycle. And what you essentially get at the end of it is a, is a close one or revenue per day of your sales cycle. Now the metric itself, at the number at the end itself isn't quite as useful as I think as the, as the equation. The idea being is, we're all, you know, I'm in the world of SaaS, typically, I imagine most people listening to this podcast probably are as well. We're trying to build repeatable, scalable, predictable businesses that make it from series A to B to C to D. Um, we're not one of the ones that drop out. And the way that we do that is by having total consistency and growth, not just in revenue, but in the, the four key levers around, metric, uh, around revenue. So volume, speed, size, efficiency. 
that's what it is. So if you're able to demonstrate, if we, if we, if we look at the utopian scenario, if you're able to demonstrate, hey, here's my sales velocity number, it is trending almost perfectly to the, to, to the right. And then we break it down by the four levers. They're all also trending to the right. We're, we're creating slightly more ops every month. We are winning slightly more efficiently every month. Our deal values are getting slightly bigger every month, so on. Then you've got a wonderful business. But the problem is not many businesses actually look like that. And until you actually present yourself with that metric, it can, it can be quite difficult to see how obvious your business is not like that. So <clears throat> where I think the, the metric has been used fantastically by some top SaaS companies is they're introducing sales velocity as a concept to the rep management relationship. So you can sit down with a rep and say, hey, like, if we look at this, right, you are selling, let's say you're selling consistently in terms of how many you win, but you're starting to sell slightly slower. And uh, the number of opportunities you're creating are really erratic, right? So your sales velocity is all over the place because of that one metric. So how do we go into that door? Now, it's not just as simple as saying, hey, there's four metrics, let's just focus on them. Once you've got the metric which is causing the problem, you can go and investigate a whole ton of stuff as to why that's happening. But you've got the thing to fix, to focus on, which is having the biggest impact on the consistency and the predictability of that particular salesperson. Um, where I think it's used even better is, let's say you look at the business. Let's say we look at um, the entire business and we see that there's a lot of inconsistency across the entire business in uh, our win rate, right? Which is quite typical, amazingly. Um, let's now look at regions or reps or whatever way you want to slice it up. Okay, so we've got these five reps here that seem to be really consistent. We've got these group of reps that are all over the place. And then we've got these reps who are really bad. And when you've got a scenario like that, you've either got probably, you've got a process problem or a performance problem or a mixture of both. So if it's the fact that you've got a cohort that are really, um, really strong with win rate and a cohort that are really bad, you go in, you look at the funnel, you understand where they're dropping off, you help those reps, those two cohorts learn from each other, and you, you, you create some improvement. Where there's, a, there's, a, there's erratic behavior, you've got reps misinterpreting or interpreting how they move from certain stages very differently. And that's gonna harm your repeatability and your predictability as we could all, as we could all see. So that's why I wanted to introduce it. I think it's just a, a great metric to from a top down, really, really understand where do you tackle and why? Yeah, it, it's funny because I talk to, I think that's insanely valuable because I, I talk to a lot of sales leaders and I'm like, you know, asking about their teams and what they're trying to get better at or where, you know, where they feel they're the biggest areas of optimization or improvement are. And so commonly I hear it's everything, right? It's like, they're bad at everything and we got to fix everything. And, and that, you know, that is like, you can't boil the ocean, right? You can't take that approach. And so from what you're saying is being able to really measure impactful KPIs that are going to help you pinpoint specifically where within the process they may be breaking down that allows you to really drill into that, focus on that to then, then optimize performance. Yes. Um, 
I, I, I love it. That's, uh, I get it. It does. It, it sounds like the dream, right? It makes it sound easy. Um, which is really cool though. Cause I, I think when you, when you start to look at it that way, it does become a lot more, it does become a lot more easier and consumable to actually, uh, execute that way. Um, this is really, really, really interesting. I, I, I think this, this topic, cause I think for, for me, I've kind of evolved from sales leadership to, to, to rev ops and again, whatever that kind of means. But uh, do you see the role, like, as we talk about defining roles, do you see with all these changes going on, do you see the role of sales leadership evolving because of all these things? Yeah. Uh, Weirdly, I wrote about this quite a long time ago. It's quite, quite, quite a few years ago, and it was talking about um, like man versus a machine. You know, the art of selling versus the science of selling. And it was, it was also talking about um, the the different personality profiles that are coming through our our system and into sales and sales leadership, and how there's going to be a definite move away from your stereotypical. Um, you know, kind of, um, you know, power vein bulging uh, leaders who, um, you know, just miracle a result out of sure, sure kind of just grit and art and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But, you know, versus um, versus a, 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 you know, a, a millennial uh, iPhone uh, generation, uh, thoughtful, calculated numbers process so those two worlds are quite different. And this is where I've seen, and we kind of, we've had conversations about this before, we're seeing really top sales ops leaders and rev ops leaders move into sales leadership. And we're seeing top sales leaders move into rev ops or sales ops. Now, if a person can do that, and the very fact that it's happening tells you that the two worlds are becoming more closely linked than ever before. Um, but it is two skill sets, right? And, and unless you have a, the complete human being, you're going to have sacrifices in one area or another, which is why there should be, which is why the role of sales or rev ops should be senior enough to be the, the, the Robin to the Batman that is the CRO or the VP of sales. Interesting. So if I'm just hearing that last statement, Right, Rory. You you basically said the role of sales ops is is going to be like next to that CRO, like they're going to be Batman and Robin. Should be, yeah. Or should be. You you see, uh, some people there's you see titles out there now, and there's also silly titles, but some people call themselves like chief of staff to the CRO, and what that is is that someone that's basically splitting the CRO role into two. The, the passionate culture, culture builder um, and the machine behind which that is delivered upon. So unless you've got an absolute, you know, legend who can run those two things to a world-class level and have all the time in the day to do it, what we're probably seeing is that the role split into two, which is why this whole sales rev ops role has become more senior, better paid, more authority, um, you know, more, more best practices and, and more talked about. So, so you're working with a lot of companies that, like you said before, helping them go from series A to B to C to D and, and surviving and, and creating this beautiful trajectory. I think that I do think the role is evolving, but I also do think that depending on 
what stage you are as a business, right? You're going to have very, very different needs within your sales leadership. Um, can you maybe touch on, on that? You know, if you were to say series a probably a sales leader that kind of looks paint, paint the picture there series B and maybe where along the way RevOps becomes or sales ops becomes increasingly more important. Ooh, tough old question that Kev. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't get in the memo that it was going to be challenging. Um, <clears throat> yeah. So, I mean, th- th- there's fundamentally going to be very different characters. If you take your big seed series A companies, if you've got a CRO that comes in and starts designing really intricate processes and is really concerned with the funnel and isn't just getting on and ripping up the sales floor every day to get everyone selling whatever scrappy product's been hashed together by the engineers, um, then that's just totally the wrong fit, right? I think on a serious note, sales ops should happen as soon as possible because what inevitably will happen is a business, you know, SaaS companies, they grow quickly. Um, the business will get to a maturity quick enough where the process that was built at the beginning starts to break because they cheaped out or they didn't think about it or they didn't hire the right person or whatever it was, or they had the, uh, the maverick CRO that came in and built something weird. Um, and then it hurts them. It hurts them. And actually some people find it quite difficult to recover from that from quite a long period of time. They struggle for, irregularity of data and visibility for a year 18 months because of something they didn't invest in early so i do think sales ops should come super super early um and um yeah i do think the 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 profile of the the revenue leader that you bring in will change as time goes on and that's that's where you like you know your your vps of sales your your you know, the old sales managers they used to be called. Um, you know, they um, they come in and create the culture and and, and motivate everyone uh, at that point. Yeah, that, that's it's interesting because I think you know to your point before about looking at leading indicators early on, not just for the moment you're living in, but for your next period, your next quarter. Similarly you know, even at an early stage of of revenue, you need to be able to look at where you project this thing to be in, you know, three, four, five years, whatever it may be, and make sure that you're not building a mansion on popsicle sticks and you're really building the foundation of something that can, you know, survive and scale and grow with you, you know, versus always having to look back and and fix and, and try and figure out why it's not working, set it up for success early on and allows you to alleviate issues down the road. Yeah. I mean, Fundamentally, you want to limit the number of uh, rehashes of your sales processes to as, as little as possible. Uh, so what you want to—excuse me—what you probably want to be thinking about doing is, when you're a big seed business, thinking like a Series B company, and when you're a Series B company, thinking like a Series D company, and, and doing it two or three times maximum, um, rather than every six months, which is what some companies do. And it's just people are just constantly living in chaos, which is has many negative effects. The other thing that, that just dawned on me, um, you know, we, we talked because, again, like that sounds so logical, right? Like it, it, it's very, very logical and it's very simple to think, hey, look, we got to just be proactive, forward thinking. But then to your point, the culture falls back on the revenue right now. Right. It's always about right now. What are we closing? Revenue, revenue, revenue. 
Yeah. Do you also think that the, the investment, right? The VCs, the private equities, like the investors of the world that are pumping outrageous millions and millions of dollars into these firms, is that also sort of, you know, creating, creating that culture of ROI, revenue, money, we got to show investors we're doing this, this, and this, you know, is that part of the, the problem? Yeah, I think everyone's, it depends on what you're chasing. It's, it's, it's what you're chasing is the problem and it's the pressure of that. And the problem is in the, in the world of venture capital, the pressure is that if you don't get it, you run out of money and that's the end of the dream. So the pressure is pretty great. Um, I think the, 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 the problem, and this is where I think VCs need to take responsibility as much as the businesses because, you know, the businesses are the ones that are doing it for the first time and the VCs are the ones that have, you know, supposedly seen it a hundred times before and the experts. <laughs> it's very, it's top down, right? It's saying here's a number we want to achieve. Um, and, then, and then typically the business will create a model as to how they're going to achieve it. Mm-hmm. But that model is not tied to bottom up of what's actually happening in the business today. It's a, it's a dream model. This is what I think we can do um, when you actually say, right, let's build how we're going to hit that number from the bottom up from how many accounts we have to have touch points upon over how many salespeople over the next six months. They're really, they're, they're not closely enough aligned or, or worse, worse still, they're not aligned at all, which sounds really, I guess it sounds really simple, but it's just something I see quite a lot. Um, and I think that causes, uh, a lot of chaos, a lot of tension because the CEO will come in one day and say, Hey, right, next this year's target's ten mil. And I'm thinking, well, okay. <laughs> go, go make it happen. Well, we, haven't, we haven't we haven't got anything to support ten mil. What do you want yeah. <laughs> and then and then the issue comes into, oh well then we just gotta go hire twenty more salespeople and we've all unfortunately seen the horrific end of that movie before. Yes, exactly. Um, so yeah, I think there's definitely responsibility. It's challenging, isn't it? Because you've got this weird, you know, we've just been for a funding round ourselves, and you've got this kind of weird standoff in that you create your data room and you, 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 your VCs go in and have a look around. But there's never, there's never like truly super um, nitty-gritty leading indicator conversations that happen. Um, I don't know about later rounds. I'm sure maybe that changes. But I think that's probably the reason that the two worlds don't align enough and, and where I think a lot of businesses lose and go wrong. And quick question to add on that. Like, if if you're someone that's a sales leader and you get that ridiculous number of growth, you know, 100% in, you know, a six-month time frame, what are some ways that you would, you know, guide them or equip them to respond back to that uh, <laughs> irrational VC? Um, <laughs> well, <clears throat> I think all you can do is have pre-built a good funnel, a good process, and just be able to show them very visually, hey, if we want to hit that number, here's what needs to flow in the top. And by my calculations, this is how many reps we have to have ramped by X date. Do we have the cash to do that? You know, it's, it comes back to that. I mean, that should, that should all have been modeled out. But as I've said, often um, 
often the two worlds are a bit detached. Got it. That, that makes sense. Yeah, I think too. You know, like when you're, when you're looking at the yeah, ABC model, you're uh, Mike. Yeah, you sound like a Dalek. If you don't, yeah. you guys don't know what that is. Doctor I don't know what that is. What is that? <laughs> Doctor Who is uh, a famous British uh, drama about a, a, a eccentric doctor with a time machine that travels around the world and saving different universes. It's been going on for decades, and every few years there'll be a new actor that's announced as Doctor Who, and it's a big thing. And then they have these weird little things called Daleks. You'll have to check it out. It's a weird British <laughs> thing. Uh, like, how, like how, <laughs> how am I coming through now? Am I better? Yeah, that's perfect. There we go. Um, <laughs> Totally threw me off there, but um, yeah, you know what I think though too. It's you know whether you're uh, whether you're as a sales leader, as a sales rep, as a business with a VC, it's about trying to find the right match, right? If, if you if you're put in that position um, and you have no opportunity to succeed, then that's probably giving you the answer that you're you're looking for. Um, this is so so helpful, super insightful. I got to be honest, Rory. Every time I talk with you, I feel like. I can go do my job so much better because you just put it into such a very simple, logical fashion. So I want to thank you for that. Um, you know, the, the, the one question I, I, I the, the last question I have really, it's like in, in terms of the future, right. And the innovation within sales, we, we see socials booming. There's more data. There's more, there's more insights that enable us to sell. Marketing is evolving fast. Um, I know you and I've talked about, you know, LinkedIn almost becoming this Instagrammable type platform where everyone's selling, everyone's smashing quota. It's like this, you know, everything's great and positive, um, which clearly is not always the case. What, you know, if you can maybe expand on that a little bit, but also discuss what are some of the negative ripple effects or some of the challenges that, that that's bringing to, to sales as a, as a profession or to, to businesses as a whole? Yeah, so <clears throat> it's quite a topic. But um, so fundamentally, I think that the current trend is that salespeople are basically becoming marketers or mini marketers. So, so you go on Instagram and you've got, uh, you've got influencers and they've got a, a, a congregation of followers around them that, that love their stuff. Uh, and salespeople are acting really in the same way. Go on to social, build a community and a brand, get to the events, make sure people know you. And that will create an environment in which you can you can sell with empathy and, and not be a, a classic salesperson. So that's definitely happening. Um, when that happens, there's a seesaw effect, though, in that, um, for example, I was at an event recently and I asked many CROs how many cold calls you get now, and the answer was very little. Um, so I'm, you know, but the challenge is is how people greet those cold calls because what we're expecting now is that when someone called if I cold called you, Kev, I need to know. Your hair color, that you like a that you like a trim beard, that you uh, that you're into your stats, uh, and that you're based in the states, and your favorite team, and everything else about you. I need to come prepared. Otherwise, you're going to think, well, I'm just a chancer. But in this, <clears throat> I think in this social side of things, we've got to be careful. In that, um, one of the reasons I personally came off Facebook and Instagram, all these things years and maybe six years ago, was that. You, you, there's many positives to them. Like my, the way my parents use Facebook is fantastic. They keep in touch with friends. That's great. Uh, the negatives is that we we create this uh, alternate reality, 
which feels very real and looks very real and is very believable. But everyone's just that bit more successful, that bit smarter, that bit more attractive, that bit uh, happier than is really the case. So it looks real, we believe it, but it's not what we're living in and, and therefore everyone feels a little bit sad, unfortunately. The challenge I see with LinkedIn is that's happening a little bit with the way businesses market. There's been a definite increase in the number of businesses that are saying, hey, look how good it is here, which is about attracting employees. It's all about creating a great brand. If we're not careful, you go on LinkedIn now, and there's just a lot of success everywhere. Everyone's happy, everyone's smiley, everyone's hitting quota, everyone's got awesome culture, everyone's being celebrated. It's, it's actually, I think, for the majority of companies, quite an intimidating place to just go and surf around in. So that's my, my take on that. Uh, what was the second part of the question? Sorry, Kev. <clears throat> I mean, that, that, I think that really was, uh, you tackled a lot of it, right? It was, you know, what, what it's becoming. And I think what are the negative ripple effects, whether you're as an individual, as a business, I, I know, you know, I, I totally agree with the point that as a sales professional, you're becoming more of a marketer and, and less of a salesperson for sure. Um, and I think you're, you know, like I'm talking to my team about social selling all the time. Um, and I think it is a very intimidating place. Um, people are unsure how to get started. You're looking at people that are doing it at a high level and you're like, how do I, you know, kind of yeah. expose myself to, to that. So that's super super daunting um but no I, I i totally agree with that nice yeah it's a, it's a strange i'd be interested to see where it goes i think um in terms of where where things will go um i think we'll see a continuation of that for a few more years where you'll get a lot of reps just you know doing the classic walking down the street taking a video chatting about you know how they got up at 4.30 a.m. and smashed life before they even started doing their admin. Um, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> we'll see more of that. Um, I, just, I think we need to be conscious that when, um, when we're putting our ideas and, and content out into the business marketplace, that it A, provides value and it's useful for people, and B, um, it's truthful as well. Otherwise, we will just create a business version of Instagram where a lot of businesses feel um, that they're not not uh, as good as other businesses and that's not a good place to be. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. This is amazing. Again, I, I think, you know, as, as I'm looking at, you know, we covered a lot of really interesting topics today, super insightful, talked a lot about process, talked a lot about, you know, keeping it simple, a lot of the proactivity and looking at your, your KPIs. Um, you know, this is, again, I think really the type of conversation we're, we're looking for and how things are evolving, how things are changing. Um, if people want to get in touch with you, want to pick your brain, want to talk to you, want to learn more about you, how do they, how do they reach you? Yeah, get me on LinkedIn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me. Uh, you can do that. Um, I am on Twitter, uh, RoryBrown87, uh, and you can reach me, Rory, at cluster.com as well, if you want to reach out. Amazing. Yeah. Again, people for, should definitely be checking out Cluster. I'm a huge fan of what you guys are doing. Always, uh, always keeping an eye on that, seeing how you guys are evolving. So, uh, Rory, thank you so much for your time. Really enjoyed the chat. Yeah. Cheers, Kev. Cheers, Travis. Nice to, nice to be on. Cheers, friend. Thanks so much for hopping on. 
Yes. Thanks for listening to Addicted to Growth. If you learn something new, don't be shy. Let people know. The best way to learn a new skill is to practice. Day in and day out. Go execute something you just learned this week with your community. Until next time.